On today's mini-sode, Laura and I chat with another of the BRC and Friends co-hosts, our friend Mickey Scott Bay-Jones, who in addition to being a lovely human, helps folks to do some self-reflection and inner work using the Enneagram. And unlike Bruce and Laura, who may know just enough to be dangerous, Mickey brings actual expertise with Enneagram coaching and certifications from the School of Conscious Living and the Narrative Enneagram. In this episode, you'll learn some history of the Enneagram, how it should or should not be used, some playful teasing about obnoxious Enneagrammers, and I kick it off by asking the question that we're all thinking, isn't the Enneagram just for white people? So, if you are an Enneagram hater, inquirer, or card-carrying cult member, so very seven of you, you will get something out of our conversation. I'm so grateful to have had this time with Mickey, so you all could get to know just a bit more about her humanity and her work with the Enneagram. Thanks for being here. Grab a beverage, pull up a chair, and enjoy listening to our conversation with Mickey Scott Bay Jones. My name is Bruce Reyes Chow, and this is BRC and Friends. Each episode, my co-hosts and I chat with activists, artists, academics, and adventurers to discuss politics, faith, pop culture, technology, and as you will discover, pretty much everything that pops into our heads. This is basically an excuse for us to hang out with friends and colleagues and riff about things that matter. Welcome to BRC and Friends. And we are back for another mini-sode today. We're highlighting one of our co-hosts. I'm really excited. Uh, Mickey Scott Bay Jones is going to talk to us about the Enneagram today. So we're going to do that real quick. But first, we're going to introduce ourselves. And we're going to say our, our names, our pronouns, where we're located. And then we'll share our Enneagram. And then uh, one more assessment tool that we may think is helpful. And I'll go first. And then Laura will go. And then and then Mickey will take over. So let's see. My name is Bruce Reyes Chow. I use he, him pronouns. I am currently living in San Jose, California. I am a three on the Enneagram with the four wing, which I say that out loud and I exhaust myself when I just think about that. And then the other tools that I've used, I happen to be a Clifton Strengths coach and I love strengths and combined with Enneagram. So those are the two that I use. I'll dabble in some other ones, but I really appreciate those two. Laura, what about you? Hi, Laura Mariko Heifetz. I use pronouns she, her, and hers. I live in Nashville, Tennessee, and I am an Enneagram one I think. I don't know about the wings or anything. I've not spent that much time with the Enneagram. We haven't bonded yet. But another tool that I've always used with my parents were like really into Myers-Briggs, which is probably just like the era that they started doing this stuff in. And so I've always used it because I think it's great for jokes. Yes. I'm an ESTJ and I used to be an ENFJ, but apparently I'm done with feelings. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm an ENFP. Wow. Wow. That'd be interesting. We could sit around. Yes. Jokes, the Myers-Briggs. That's one of my favorites. Like, oh, that's so S of you. That's so, you know, that's the best. <laughs> right. Exactly how you're supposed to use those tools to mock people, apparently. Yeah, yeah. That's what they say. <laughs> <laughs> that's the power. Yeah. Uh, Mickey, uh, introduce yourself. Uh, and then we have, and go through things. And then we have some questions for you. So I'm Mickey Scott Bay Jones, she, her pronouns. I just want to tell everyone who is tired of the Enneagram, wait, don't run away. I promise this will not be like other Enneagram <laughs> podcasts you have been forced to listen to Stay. by the Enneagram Stay. weirdos in your life. Yeah. It'll be so much shorter. <laughs> shorter, more fun. We do have a timeshare to sell you at the end, but stay. <laughs> Exactly. Also people of color. So it's going to be different. Yeah. I lead with a type one. I could go through the whole thing because you can like, you know, Laura, you're not, I don't, you're probably not even ready. There are so many layers. I am a one with like a dominant wing too, but I have a lot of into my wing nine. So it's kind of like equal wings flapping in the wind. My instinct stack is social self-preservation sexual. <laughs> oh, oh 
well. We just so, went deep. We just went. Oh. We just. Well, oh. Google. I don't know. This that I'm may be a part. That may be a part two. Uh, is the yeah. So, yeah. I I started awesome. to dabble in that sexual, sensual, social. Is that the three? I can't remember. But no. Yeah. Um. Well, let me. Let's start. Let's. Let's. No, that's not what it is. <laughs> no, not at all. I know just enough but to be it's dangerous. Fine. But I. But let me say this too, so people know that I'm not just. Uh, not just talking out my ass. I am a certified Enneagram teacher and coach by two different organizations, the Narrative Enneagram, and then I was also trained by uh, the School of Conscious Living. And so this is, you know, a big part of my life. I have been working with Enneagram for a long time, but also have the training. And so yeah. let's talk about it. The Narrative Enneagram stuff is so helpful. I just discovered that with after knowing you and seeing some of their stuff, really, really good. Uh, because I generally talk out of my ass when it comes to Enneagram, we should probably actually hear more from you. So, but let's start only with general questions. Enneagram. No. That's it. That's no, everything else I really know. <laughs> oh, totes. Sorry. I need. I oh, need wait, to wait, make, wait. Uh, and an, an edit a new a new intro. Go ahead. <laughs> Talking out of my ass, only part of the time. Yeah. So I want to say something about both Strengths Finders and MBTI. So it's funny. People always think MBTI is like so highly researched and so amazing. And there's been a lot that has come out recently. How it's basically totally just made up. Like two psychologists were just like. Mm-hmm fits and just made shit up and then right Uh, so i mean whatever and but i mean if you like it i love it for you what what whatevs and strengths finders i just redid strengths finders after many years all of my strengths are in the relational vertical i was like okay clearly i just want to hang out with people all the time love that that's awesome that is so awesome well let me ask you this you touched on it early on so i'll just get something so is it this just for white people (laughs) wow okay yeah let's just handle that straight out the gate i actually wrote an article well i was interviewed for the article but it's we share the byline in 2018 or 19 that's on still on the sojourners website so people can look it up but it is called the enneagram is not just for white people and (laughs) it's true that's the name of it and which is kind of a shocking title and people either hate it or they love it and i just did a TikTok about it because you know i'm on TikTok with the kids I saw that. I I saw that. That's where I saw it. (laughs) TikTok. I'm trying. I'm trying, y'all. One moment. And so, like, I do get this a lot. Isn't this just for white people? And it's not. First of all, the Enneagram belongs to all of us. Second of all, the Enneagram is much larger than the Enneagram of personality, which is what we're talking about when we're talking about our type structure and about numbers and personalities traits. That is a fairly new iteration or innovation of the Enneagram, but the symbol and it as a like a piece of sacred geometry has been around in almost every culture from the beginning of time. So it comes out of Africa. It comes out of, you know, Egyptian mystical circles and the Sufis. And yes, it made its way to the Greeks, but they didn't invent it, even though the word we use is a Greek word. So it truly is for everybody. Two men that kind of popularized it both came out of South America. Well, Ichazo, I guess one of them came out of like Russia, but whatever. My point is it doesn't just belong to Europeans and there have been people of color involved with the Enneagram of personality for a long time, but they have not been the main like sought after teachers. And there are a growing number of global majority slash BIPOC Enneagram teachers out there, me being one 
one of them, but there's a whole network of us. So uh, that, thank you. That's, I mean, I just wanted to get that one out the gate, but could you give us in your, like uh, your elevator, I get on an elevator with you and I ask you, oh, I hear you're an Enneagram person. By the time I get to the third floor, can you explain to me what Enneagram is? Uh, maybe. <laughs> one, I talk too much. <laughs> So, yeah. And I also try not to talk to people in elevators, personally. <laughs> well, I, and I get in and I turn and I face you to make it even that uh, less awkward uh, wow. in, in the elevator. So. Wow. I never want to be on an elevator with you in a mid-rise, <laughs> sir. Turn around, sir. Okay. Face the wall. Yes. <laughs> Don't you know how we do this? There is etiquette. So, yeah, I mean, the Enneagram of personality is a system of understanding nine different ways of being in the world, nine different motivations, thought patterns. There can be some behavioral pattern element here, but it is really about our motivations. And while it's not saying that, you know, you are alike all these people in your type pattern, we can kind of boil down human motivations to these nine. Now we, again, the way we expand the Enneagram goes on to like subtypes and your wings and all these things that impact, you know, so it goes beyond nine, but we really start with basically nine different ways of being in the world, nine different motivations. And it just helps us you know, human beings like to understand things. That's why we have MBTI. That's why we have your zodiac sign and disc profile and strengths finders. We love to categorize things. That's just what humans do. And it helps us to make meaning of and understand this chaos ball spinning through space. So if it works for you, great. If it doesn't, that's cool. But it helps because the human brain really is, you know, created to kind of categorize and understand. And the truth of the matter, sorry, type fours, is that we are pretty much, you know, all the same. <laughs> like there are only slight variations and nine just about captures it. So that's how it works. I just am here to report that three of my family members are fours. <laughs> Congratulations. That's all. We have one and a half and I'm exhausted all the time. So... <laughs> Yeah. Only half of me is offended that you said we're not special, but okay. I'll, uh, yeah. I'll take that. <laughs> Laura, do you have any questions before we ask? I think this might be a good time to, well, let's just talk about what the types are. Because I, I kind of want, like, this episode, if you're here to, like, just trash Enneagram, you can go away now. But if you actually are interested in finding out more about what's happening, that's where we're kind of go. But Laura, do you have any questions at this point? Or should we just have uh, Mickey Diamond? I would like to make room for the third way, which is... There are things about Enneagram people, type people, who it's just a lot. And I will continue to kind of mock some of them. But I didn't, Mickey knows. But at the same time, I actually think that it's okay to find tools useful and to explore them more, even if some of the people are a bit much. I think, right, like I don't know anything about what is it like the zodiac or astrology or anything and sometimes there will be zodiac signs that apparently get along better than others etc <laughs> there are other people who know a lot more about this than me but i'm a one we think and my spouse is an eight 
we think. And I'm just wondering if there's any guidance from the Enneagram about how like in relationships specifically, we can kind of like draw on those better parts of ourselves, the healthier wings (laughs) as we're relating with each other. Or if there are some types that like, why would you? (laughs) Well, okay. Well, that was a mistake. You should have. Right. (laughs) Should have figured that out before you got married. No, I, you know, I'm in the camp that like, there are no bad types and there are no good types. It just doesn't really work like that. That is probably one of the things that's kind of different about it from a lot of other kind of systems of understanding humans is one there it's there's a lot of movement around the Enneagram that's one of the things I love about it is that it's very dynamic so you're not boxed into your type it's just kind of a starting point like a starting point for your map of how to understand who you are and so while we often as we you know when we first get introduced to it we're well one because some of these annoying enneagram people that you talk about you hear about it at a party or dinner or whatever and people are like oh my god you're such a two you know and it's like thank you for the label don't know what your numbers mean right like it's the same as when somebody's like oh you are such a virgo and you're like i don't I'm okay. sorry, what is that? What, what yeah, is exactly. what is such a Virgo? I'm um, just trying to talk. <laughs> right. I was just born in this on this day. It doesn't have any, you know. But then they're like, My oh, bad. but yeah. but your rising is actually Scorpio? No wonder you act like and it's just, okay. All right. Can we just roll it back? So all And this, I love it. All the astrology folks now have just been like, now they're they're tuning out. I they're know, like, okay. Sorry. Right. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, astrology people, but yeah. you know who those people are in your community. But we do. Okay? You know, right. The, I'm sorry. I just have offended all the astrology gays. I'm sorry. I'm not. I mean, I'm I'm getting better. I am trying because I'm getting gayer. And so the gayer I get, the better I get at astrology. It is a direct correlation. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, no. I hope I don't got to do that, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, that's how it works. It's mandatory. It's in the book. Oh, Didn't God. you get? It's in the, it's in the, the mandatory. You know what? I'm the agenda. on the edge of losing my card. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, you got to <laughs> reel it back in. Do, get Download the Chani app today, Laura. Get it, get with it. So I am an fix things right. all by myself. So I'm an Enneagram gay. So, <laughs> so yeah, so there can definitely be that annoying, like, you know, people trying to tag you as things in parties. So it's not about, like, our compatibility, right? Like, is an eight compatible with a one? That's just not a helpful question because when we boil it down, Enneagram is about doing your own inner work. This is just a way to help you understand what inner work is yours to do. And so you shouldn't be focused on your spouse or your partner or your friends or your kids. Like, yes, there are things you can learn about how to like interact better with them, communicate better with them, understand them more. But like the first thing you need to be doing is your own work around unpacking your patterns, right? What are your motivations? How are you you know, kind of working out your own shit. And that needs to be your focus more than like, how do I fix this person? You know, so it's an invitation to really do your own inner work because like I have my own pattern as a type one. My story is like, I have to be good in order to be loved. That is the type that grew up around my little, you know, my sweet little inner self that to protect myself, I was like, well, if I can be good, then I will be loved and don't have to worry about it. Everything is fixed up. And so I spend my entire life trying to be good. And that's one, not necessarily true, but in some ways it has been reinforced. And so what have I 
you know, learn to do, what are the behaviors that I've then employed to try and stay inside of love, which to me is conditional upon my goodness. And we all, each type has their, you know, their story around what it's going to take to, to keep love. Awesome. That is great. Yeah. I'm a three and I, you know, so my worth and love comes from accomplishing things and little human doings, as I think all this, I can remember what the, and I just remember mm -hmm. working with a staff person at one point. And when I was stressed, I just start doing stuff and would just, my list would get longer. I check things off because the more I check things off and then this other person was a nine. And as they were doing their work, the more things that were coming at them and they just got paralyzed by it. And so we were terrible together. Yeah because I'm just producing and then they're just receiving all this. And, and it was just like, we both just laughed later. It's like, if we would have done this work before it blew up, maybe it wouldn't have blown up. Interesting. Yeah. How uh, yeah. self-reflect. Well, let, well, this is, seems like a good time. Uh, can you quickly take us through the nine types if you want to go ahead and, sure. and I know each of them have our different names and all that kind of stuff, but if you want to go through and take us through all nine and then we can talk a little yeah. bit after you get that to the end. Sure. So I like to group them in different centers of wisdom. And so we have the head, the heart, and the body, right? We all have a head, heart, and a body. So we all have access to all of these types and to all of these centers, but you are more, you know, you fit more in one. You have strategies that you use from one type more than the other, from one center more than the other. So starting with our head types, that's our five, six, and seven. And so our type five, that's the sage. There are lots of different names, but uh, the sage is, is one of the descriptive words we use. Motivated by the need to conserve and protect their resources of time, energy, and attention. The attention of this type is focused on detached observing intrusions and intrusions of the demanding world. They're trying to keep those out. Our type sixes, and you said Robin is a type six, right, Bruce? Our type yes. six, yes. Okay, that is sometimes called the loyal skeptic. And they're motivated to seek safety by preparing for possible harm or challenges. And their attention is really focused on the threats, the harm, the danger, the challenges. So they're vigilant, they're scanning, they're, you know, doubting. They usually have a either a core strategy of confronting the thing or hiding away from what they fear. So that probably feels maybe like something you've seen. <laughs> Type seven. I don't know what also, you're talking our... about. <laughs> might be a little familiar. So type sevens, this type gets a lot of grief, but type seven, the adventurer, they are motivated to seek experiences that are stimulating and pleasurable. And their focus of attention is on positive future possibilities and keeping their options very open. So from the head, we move to the heart and our heart types are twos, threes, and fours. And our type two, the type two is the giver. They're motivated to gain affirmation or acceptance from their ability to meet the needs of others. And they focus their attention on relationships and meeting those needs in all of their relationships, but particularly the ones they really care about. And then we get to the type three, the center of the heart center, which has a whole other thing to it, but we can talk about that later. <laughs> this type, often called the performer, is motivated to achieve or accomplish in order to gain recognition. They focus their attention on doing, on gaining approval for what they do, and for being known as getting the job done. How's that resonate, Bruce? Uh, very much so. A little human doing. I'm but really trying to not buy into it. Like, I have, that is, it is tough. Mm -hmm. Tough. But yeah. yes. I mean, like I'm sure the last year has been an exercise in kind of confronting that type structure. Head. Oh. For you. Confronting, yeah. and I will say, kind of em embracing it, the freedom mm -hmm. to no longer kind of give a shit about accomplishment. 
is yeah. I still there's like an internal guilt about that for some reason, but at the same time it's like, well, oh, actually don't care anymore. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Let's do, let's do what. Yeah, and I will say anyway, we'll do my session right. later. And threes are yeah, and threes a little bit are about image, not necessarily accomplishment. Right? It's that if I have the image that yes people expect of me, I'll be loved. So type four yes. are the last totally of our heart type. types is. Yeah, uh, type four, the last of our heart types is uh, sometimes called the romantic, is motivated by a longing that is focused on what's missing or just beyond their grasp. They have a focus of attention on what's missing and they're concerned with authenticity, with emotional connection and what's beyond the ordinary. And then our body types, and these are eight, nine and ones. Type eight, the protector, is motivated to shield the vulnerable, weak or the underdogs and themselves. And they're trying to protect from harm or injustice in the world. And the attention of this type is focused on control, on power, on truth, and making sure that they are protected. So I think you said, Laura, you live with an eight. So <laughs> you're just shaking yep, your head sure like, you ah. out there slaying all the anti-racism dragons. Yep. Gotta protect, protect yeah. the little ones. Oh no, I guess we don't, sorry, we don't slay the anti-racism dragons. We slay the white supremacy dragons. My bad. Yeah, something like that. I'm gonna tweet that out. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> People do not cut and paste this episode. No, do not. Anyway, keep going. Keep okay, going. so type nine, the mediator is motivated to avoid conflict and nurture peace and harmony in their lives and relationships. The attention of this type tends to be focused on the comfort of others and working towards peace and the collective desires of others and rounding it out with our type one sometimes called the judge is motivated by the drive to improve people things and situations and make things better so also participate in reform and their attention is focused on what is right and wrong so that's a high flyover of the types <laughs> of course there have been entire books written awesome. on you know with a chapter on each type but that's a high flyover yeah that's awesome. Can I ask questions that I think are probably coming from one that talks out of his ass about Enneagram all the time? Yeah. So let me ask, how helpful is it to talk about, I've heard it described as everybody has a, it's like a vice and a virtue. Like there's one, there's a, the motivation yeah. language is really helpful, but so that, you know, I've always thought about it as a three. One of the things I'm watching out for is deceit, right? That I'm lying to myself about my worth by my image or what I do. So I'm trying to not like, is it helpful to talk about that? And I don't even know what the language is, if it's a shadow side or if it's a, you know, the vice. I mean, is that part of how mm -hmm. you deal with it? Or is that? Sure. Where, where does that fit in? I mean, you can, sure. I mean, you can talk about vice and virtue. I think this is where often people don't get beyond type structured descriptions and that's never where kind of the end of the Enneagram was supposed to be. This has always been used. I mean, the Enneagram of personality has really, from the beginning, was highly connected to psychologists and the idea of self-improvement, right? Like the original Eureka School still exists, which is where, you know, some of this original teaching came from. And it's really all about kind of examining yourself. So the vice and the virtue is just language we have around kind of the core thing that you're dealing with and then what happens when you start to actually deal with that thing. <laughs> so, and it does, you know, it can connect back into like, you know, the traditional Christian understanding of vices and that kind of thing. But because again, these are esoteric traditions that have been around and repackaged by every religious tradition, by every teacher. 
right? So it's not unique to the Enneagram per se or unique to Christianity or any of that stuff, right? These are things that have come from every tradition. And so each of us have our own work to do. And so if the language of vice and virtue works for you, that's great. But for some people, that's too closely tied to Christianity or to organized religion. Yeah. Well, you know me, I'm a big old fat Christian. So, you know, I'm all about that. <laughs> You're okay with it. <laughs> yeah, I'm okay with it. Okay. That's we great. We can talk no, thank about you. Christian stuff. Laura, what about you? Any questions or thoughts as you hear? I've heard the one's also called a perfectionist. Is that an unfair oh, label? Yeah. Mm, that seems right. <laughs> I hate it. I mean, I, that's why I don't say it a lot because I just you do hate it. Yeah. Too <laughs> true. Yes. Oh man. Well, you but you like yeah. judge better. Yeah. Yes, and well, I will say like why. Very judgy. <laughs> yes, oh. judgy. I'm. It's a judgy, but it's not a bad. Ju First of all, human beings are judgy. We don't just take everything in. Like in order to survive, you're literally scanning to see. Oh, is that person? against me or for me. So like when I think judge, I'm thinking, you know, like the scales of justice, right? Like I'm coming into a room and I'm going, okay, what are the dynamics of this room? Who's in charge? Who has power? Who doesn't have power? That's kind of a body type thing. So it's something that the eights and ones do for sure. Sixes kind of do this too, but sixes kind of mirror eights. This like, you want to get the lay of the land. You need to know what's happening in here. And so that's why I don't see judging as a bad thing. Whereas perfectionism is really damaging and bad. Uh, and it's not inaccurate per se. It's just, oh boy, exhausting <laughs> yeah. and terrible. Well, that's funny because the motivation thing when you talk about stepping into a room, right? A three, I read the room to figure out how I'm going to connect with each person differently so that I can change my image in some way to make sure I can connect with them. So that kind of image piece, I'm always like, okay, so how much of that is really helpful though, so I can actually get to know people and how much of it is that just to feed some weird need to be loved everywhere or whatever. But that would right. be an interesting, I know that there's all the Enneagram things where it's like, this walks into a room, what's their motivation and what do they do? It would be a fascinating kind of thing. But so our family has done them, all five of us. There's a one, four, three, six, and nine are our family of five. How helpful is it in the, to do, we've also done our strengths and we've all done our marriage break. I mean, we've all, we're a bunch of nerds. So dear God, <laughs> I wish my video editing skills were good enough for this podcast because the best parts are watching faces. <laughs> I'm judging so hard. Yeah, Laura makes the best faces. It's awesome. <laughs> yes, we did them all. I even have a little chart at the Strength Finders for our whole family to see where everybody. It's I love it. Wow. Anyway, how helpful is that? Like, have you found that as part of like for families or parenting or relationships? I mean, how is it a helpful tool? You talked a little bit about it, but yeah, for kind of just being in a relationship with and things. Sure. I mean, one of my favorite Enneagram books because of its practicality is the Enneagram and Work in Love by Helen Palmer, who is one of the founders of the narrative tradition. She's an OG. She's still with us. But I think the first woman to publish an Enneagram book. And it's still really good, even though some of our language has changed and stuff. But it can be really helpful with relationships. I think, and one of the things I love about Helen's book in uh, Enneagram and Work in Love is that she couples up the different types so that you're, you understand the dynamic between the two, you know? So if you have a four and a six, like this is what can happen between them. It's really specifically written for work and for romantic partnership, but you can extrapolate. So, I mean, it's really helpful to have some awareness around your type 
And then, you know, even if you know some basic stuff around the other person's type, you know, I'll, so I'll explain, like I had, I worked with somebody once again, I'm a type one. I was working with somebody who's a type seven and I had had another work relationship with a type seven that went down in flames. And <laughs> I didn't understand at the time why it went down in flames, but type ones, we tend to, uh, we want to get things right. So we tend to ask for a lot of details. We want to know specifics. We want to know deadlines. We want to know when things are going to happen, what, when we can expect certain things, what's exactly expected out of us so we can deliver exactly what's expected. And sevens can have, they're really great at the ideation stage, right? They have all the ideas. They have almost no idea how we're going to get there. <laughs> and not necessarily a lot of sequencing ability, right? So they don't really think in terms of like, do this, then do that. Just not really how they think. Another example is uh, I had a three on my team. Threes, again, want it to look good at the end. They don't really care how it gets done. They don't care if it's done right. They care if it looks good when it's done. But that can look very close. So there can be something you can rub up against each other when it's like, oh, I thought you wanted this done this way. And a three's like, no, I just wanted it. I want it to look amazing when we step into the room to present. And the one's like, yeah, well, we have to do all of these things right in order to get to that amazing thing. So it's like, you have to then figure out how to talk to each other. So with the seven, I sat down with them and said, I ask for a lot of details. As a seven, I know asking you for details can feel like I'm now trying to pin you down instead of keep you in this option space. It can feel like I'm quizzing you. I'm trying to, you know, hone you in. I'm trying to, and I don't want, that's not what I'm trying to do here. So can you give me as many details as I need? And you know, what do you need from me, right? Because I know that's gonna rub up against your ability to see all the possibilities at once because I'm ready to get into a stream and go. With the three, I know you're gonna just wanna make it look good and you're not, you don't care about all these details. How can I talk details in a way that doesn't feel like I'm slowing you down from reaching your goal and checking it off the list, right? So when you have that awareness, around what you need and then maybe what the other person needs, you can start to work together on something. So you're not, you know, the three's not wrong because they just want to check it off and be done and, and it just look great. They just have a different focus. And so I just need to know what do I need to be able to do this work with you so I don't want to bite your head off? What do I need from the seven so I can appreciate all the all the possibilities they can imagine and the new idea they come with on the at the 11th hour when I'm like, we are almost done. And they're like, no, 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 no. No, great idea. It's like, how do I now make room no, for that? Literally one of the worst things <laughs> that anyone can do to me is to keep having ideas after we're already three quarters of the way down the path. I know. So I have to say, Mickey, I'm a little bit struggling <laughs> with the whole value neutral thing. There's no <laughs> bad types. <laughs> these people are messing up my game. <gasps> Sevens are super easy. Sevens are easy to because the yes, I mean, it, I, it does feel like, you know, and I take people through strengths. I just worked with a couple and they're like, these feel all like they're terrible. Like it's a weakness finder. I'm like, no, 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 no. Oh. It's only because we've, a, we've attached other things to these things. Right. So uh, anyway, so we could do an episode on that later, but I, I think part of the difficulty is not to fall into that. Right. Cause I've worked some sevens and they, I'm like, you leave a, a wake of dead bodies behind every project because you're ready to move on and you've not equipped people 
to like take over that thing. I mean, I've had interns like that, and so I've I've had this very like oh god sevens. So tell me what's good <laughs> yeah. about this. Like, see, well, what, and I what is the I virtue like to, of seven? Right, I like to say that sevens leave a trail of glitter behind them, not dead bodies. <laughs> well, this is helpful reframing for you, Bruce. Yeah, it was not Just glitter. Little. Little pieces of glitter shaped like human bodies. Well, well, okay. Um, well integrated sevens. That might be like well integrated sevens leave glitter. Yeah. Disintegrated sevens leave dead bodies in their wake. And you want to leave glitter, not bodies. Leave glitter, not bodies. I mean, uh, there's a lot to love about sevens. I mean, they do see all of the possibilities. So again, if you want to have someone at the to brainstorm with, you want sevens because they can think of everything. You know, they are concerned with kind of positive reframing. So they're going to see the silver lining in something. So if you are having trouble seeing your way out, seeing how there could possibly be anything good in the situation you're in, they are probably going to find it. If they can't find it, you might be up shit's creek. You, it might be a, a problem, but they can pretty much always find it. So there are some really, you know, beautiful things, some superpowers there. You know, they also tend to be very charismatic and interesting and, you know, they can prepare for something quickly. If you're going to, you know, if you want someone who can pack a suitcase and meet you at the airport in an hour, it's going to be a seven. It's not me. <laughs> it's not usually a type. It's not Laura. Nobody asked Laura now, to meet but... me. <laughs> yeah. Nobody asked Laura to just meet her, meet, meet him at the airport. Good no to know. One. No one does it. <laughs> Oh, that's great. This is super helpful. I, I, you know, I, I just think because so many people of us can be super annoying about Enneagram sometimes. And, and for those of us that have oppositional behavior, it just spurs us on when it bugs people. So we talk about it more. <laughs> this is actually the reason I want to do this is you want is to get your stuff out there and let people know that you're uh, working on a lot of things. You've, you run workshops and you do one-on-one -on -one coaching and you are actually certified in a couple of places. And so we want to make sure that folks know it isn't just a bunch of us who maybe read a book or went to workshop and now we think we're experts. But uh, so I'll make sure that I include all that in the show notes. We'll put all those links, all that stuff will be in there so folks can get in touch with uh, in touch with Mickey. But uh, Laura, do you have any last questions for Mickey or thoughts, witticisms? I mean, there are always witticisms, but I do have to say that I am someone who can be like super skeptical about the latest new thing that and I've been skeptical for like 19 years about the latest <laughs> new thing Enneagram ever since I had a roommate who was like really into it and I was like I'm literally not interested right now but talking to Mickey I have to say was like the closest I've gotten to learning more about the Enneagram because she's not annoying as shit <laughs> <laughs> and I appreciate that. I will take that high compliment from you that I'm not annoying. As I think shit. you should put that on your uh, LinkedIn. Yes, yeah, that not that should be a, on your LinkedIn. I'm gonna put it on resumes. It's gonna find be great. me here in cover letters. <laughs> not annoying as shit. But I mean, I will say this honestly. One of the other reasons people of color are turned off sometimes by the Enneagram is that people have used it in this way. That's like. Let's dig into your the worst parts of yourself and let's look at your shadow side. And, yeah. you know, for those of us who are queer, who are of the global majority, we have we are often looked at and are like whatever could possibly be pulled out as our deviant parts, as our bad sides, as you know, or attributed to us, even if it's not true, 
is what is, you know, highlighted as our personalities, right? Like we just, we have enough of people trying to critique who we are and to put us into boxes and to stereotype us. And so I get it because they're, you know, as the Enneagram has become more memified and as stereotypes are part of this because people don't know enough about it, they just end up stereotyping people. Then it's like, why would I want to have anything to do with that? I'm trying to, you know, throw labels off my back all day. Why would I want to get involved with something else that's going to label me? You know, the feedback I've gotten from people is one that I teach Enneagram in a very compassionate way. My concern, my focus is on self-compassion and empathy for others. And so if the Enneagram doesn't help us develop those two things, I'm not interested in it. And two, because I am a black queer woman, like I am not interested in, you know, siding with how the world wants to stereotype us or hurt us. And, but I do believe inner work can be valuable for us. We're not exempt from wanting to unpack all of what's made us who we are or like wanna be better people or, you know, deal with our internalized homophobia and racism and all the things that are inside of us. So like we have work to do too, and we get to do it. We've never, you know, colonialism, imperialism wants to make us just be machines and, you know, cogs in the wheel instead of like whole human beings that get to exist and be who we are. And that to me is what the Enneagram is about, is about getting to live into your fullness and uncover all those parts of yourself. So I do teach it differently and that's okay. Like that's part of it is your teacher does matter. And I get to be a part of the way that I teach. So yeah, it's gonna be different coming for me. Awesome, great, that is awesome. We'll just let you have the last word there. Thank you so much Mickey, for uh, being with us as a co-host, but also just as a person and a lovely human being. One of the reasons we're so glad to have you part of this team. So uh, those of you, thank you for tuning in and taking a listen to the Enneagram Minnesota. As usual, please go to all the places where you listen to podcasts, do all the podcast things, review, rate, and subscribe. And if you could, go ahead and share this stuff out. That would be also really helpful. And if you want to support the work that is going on here and the work that I'm doing in creating some content, go to Patreon and uh, go ahead and become a patron. All right, that is it for now. Again, thank you for joining us and thank you, Mickey and Laura, for being here. Uh, We'll see you next time on BRC and Friends. BRC and Friends was hosted and produced by Bruce Reyes Chow. Co-hosts were Jorge Bautista, Mickey Scott Bay Jones, Amy Kim Caremus Parks, and Laura Monaco Heifetz. And the theme music was composed and recorded by Marissa Magdal Laron. Please head over to Patreon and toss us a few bucks, and feel free to connect with any of us via the show notes. And lastly, please don't make me beg. Take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to BRC and Friends wherever you listen to podcasts. Until the next episode, thanks for listening to BRC and Friends.